Thank you, Ben and team. Welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. We are on a series, a 10-week series, uh, on the book of Proverbs. And the title of the series is How to Obtain Wisdom. Now, if you're going to be able to obtain wisdom, you need to know something else before you can even learn how to obtain it. And that is, well, what is the definition of wisdom? And as we are looking at, as I've been studying the definition of wisdom, there's a lot of different definitions, but as you'll notice, they all have um, one single component. Let me just read a couple of definitions um, of what wisdom is before we get into our uh, sermon this morning. The ability to judge what is true, right, and lasting, and that's from the Webster Dictionary. Another definition, wisdom is thinking, living as God designed us to live. Here's another one. Wisdom is observing and following the Creator's order in the moral universe. Here's another definition. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life, knowing how things really happen, knowing how things really are, and knowing what to do about it. Another one. This is the one we've been using. The ability to make the right decision when the moral rules don't apply. I just said the five definitions, but I said the same thing on every single definition. And what do you mean they said the same thing? Is that there is a foundation of wisdom. And the foundation of wisdom requires a creator because there has to be a truth to abide by. There has to be a law. There has to be something that is going to carry the foundation of wisdom. There must be. But what happens if you take the component of the creator out of wisdom? What takes place? Well, I studied that as well. I looked at what are people saying that do not believe in God and how are they defining wisdom? Because wisdom is a universal word that every single one of us understand and live by and use. But take the creator out of the component and what kind of definition are you going to get? Uh, One webpage, and, and they had a whole bunch of videos on YouTube, The Nauer Foundation, located out of uh, um, New York, is a foundation where you have philosophers, scientists, historians, psychiatrists, cognitive neuroscientists, and what they do is they try to understand the hardware of life, but God is not in the component. They will try to understand the will of meaning, the story of life, the mystery of our mathematical universe, and reality is what it seems is kind of the topics that they study without God inside of the component. In this YouTube video, um, one of the guys asked, what is wisdom? Video is two minutes, 40 seconds. We'll let you listen to their answers. Philosophers have been debating what wisdom means for centuries. Do you have a a working definition? I do. Um, That's that's a good thing, since you (laughs) picked on me first. So I think of wisdom as... Um, I tend to think of all the virtues as, as fairly complex states, so none of them is going to have a really small definition, uh, so be prepared. Um, but I think of wisdom as the set of dispositions and skills um, and policies that help us deliberate about what matters in life and then translate that into choices and action. So we, we can figure out what's good and then... <laughs> achieve achieve those things in our lives and also you know help other people do so too if they're struggling with their deliberating and choices now lisa you come at this from a more of a science perspective um do you have a, a, a definition of wisdom i think it's very similar to valerie's in some ways I and mean, what i would say is wisdom isn't one thing 
it's not one way of living or one way of applying knowledge. Um, sometimes wisdom is realizing what you don't know and uh, stepping back from your sense of certainty that you do know. And sometimes um, wisdom is being very clear about what your goals or values are and using what you know to achieve them. So, you know, one of the basic um, dilemmas we all face because we're uh, a very social species and we, um, that's one of our greatest adaptive advantages actually as a species is that we rely on each other and we depend on each other but we have this kind of basic dilemma of when do we favor getting along versus when do we favor getting ahead? This is, there are many ways to talk about that, but um, wisdom is in part knowing which one you're favoring in the moment and um, uh, achieving it effectively, I would say. Well, Philip, let me, let me turn to you. If we, if we try to put this in some historical perspective, I mean, wisdom has been discussed and debated for centuries. I mean, going back to Aristotle, at least, um, has, has the meaning of it changed over, over the centuries? I mean, as philosophers have debated, and more recent philosophers, and you know, David Hume, Ralph Waldo Emerson, does, does wisdom mean something different now? I think wisdom meant something very different from, for Emerson than what it meant for Aristotle, for example. But um, I actually wanted to preface this by saying that, uh, unlike you, Steve, I am not wise. And, I'm not wise um, either. And one of the things I'm not wise about is wisdom itself. Um, and so I, I, I back away from any attempt to think that there's a clear definition here. They're missing one component. They're missing a foundation, if you've noticed that. Figure out what is good and achieve them. But what is good in my eyes might be different than what is good in your eyes, and there's no good. What is good? Is there some sort of truth? These are brilliant minds, but know what your goals are and values are and achieve them. Um, our goals and values could be corrupt. Does this go with a sexual predator, or does this go with somebody who's a thief? I mean, there's got to be an anchor somewhere, and there is not an anchor. Wisdom is knowing what you favor in the moment and then achieving it. Uh, my mind goes from moment to moment, and what I favor goes from point to point, but they're missing the foundation. And the most brilliant person that was in the interview was the gentleman, because he said the words, I'm not wise, and I can't give a clear definition, because of his brilliance in understanding what the word wisdom means with no foundation collapses the whole thing. There must be a foundation if you're going to have wisdom. There must be a foundation. So if there's not a foundation, then you'll never be able to learn how to obtain it. Praise God we have a creator in the book of Proverbs because the book of Proverbs and the creator says, this is what wisdom is, and let me tell you exactly how to obtain it. What is wisdom? <laughs> wisdom is understanding the right decisions and making the right decisions when the moral law doesn't apply. That's what wisdom is. How do you obtain it? Number one, wisdom is obtained by the fear of the Lord, and there's no other way it's going to happen. The reason why is because there's no other foundation. All the way through the book of Proverbs, this is mentioned 31 times. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom to reward that. Wisdom does not start for you until you fear the Lord. 
Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom. You are not being educated in wisdom if you are not fearing the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge has not even started for you if you haven't even started from the beginning, according to Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Life is not yours, and you will not be able to have it until we start from the base of fearing the Lord. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life. Life is not going to even go on for you, and decisions are not going to be made that are healthy if you have not started the concept of fearing the Lord. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, there is a foundation of wisdom. And what is it? Fear the Lord. And if you refuse, then wisdom will never start for you. We'll ask the question then, what is fear of the Lord? In fact, we'll ask three questions, and this is what we're going to talk about. What is the fear of the Lord? How does the fear of the Lord make you wise? And how do you know if you have the fear of the Lord? First question, what is the fear of the Lord? Definition. Number two, there are three fears in the Bible. The fear of terror, the fear of respect, the fear of awe, and the fear of the Lord is a combination of all three. So let's just break it into the category a judge. If you walk into the courtroom, that judge has your future in mind. That judge is going to tell you what your next move is going to be, almost even what your next thought is going to be, because his decision is going to change and alter every direction of your life. And I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, and as you're standing in front of the judge, there is a fear of what he's going to say, what he's going to do, and really the mood that he is in in the particular day. Now, if you are guilty your fear increases because your mind starts to work. I hope those lawyers that I paid was enough to manipulate them so I can get off the hook. I hope they were convinced and the lies that I gave were convincing enough to make it sure that I can be able to have freedom even when I don't deserve it. Think of the person that's standing in front of a judge who is completely guilty and he's waiting for the verdict to fall down. When you look at the Bible, I will tell you that we are completely guilty. And there is a judge, and the judge is God. And when it's talking about fear of the Lord, there should be a terror, and there should be a relief. The terror should be, you are my judge according to my future. It's in your hands according to what takes place is in your hands. And then there should be like a relief but you took my judgment and placed it on your son, Jesus Christ, for the purpose of being able to set me free. Can you look at that without emotion? If you think I should be judged and you see the front of the judge and then you see what has been taking place in front of you, this is what the judge has done? When you look at the cross, you look at the brutality of the cross, there's a statement of how big of a sinner we are and how disgusting our sin are just by looking at the violence of the cross. And see, that's what our judge has done. Do you see the sickness of the cross? And never forget that I'm your judge, and I will make a decision of what your future is going to be. Deuteronomy 2, 25, This very day I will begin to put the terror of fear on you, on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. A fear of terror. There's another fear, a fear of respect. Let's look at this as a a general. You're standing in front of a general, 
And you're not necessarily afraid of the general. This is kind of a harder fear to explain. You're not necessarily afraid of the general, but you stand in front of him as a sense of complete entire respect. You have traveled through every single war to get you in this position. You have conquered, you've killed, you've divided, you have done everything needed to to carry all the medals on your shoulders. And you look at that person and say, to stand in your presence is an honor, to stand in your presence is a privilege, and I will tell you that you tell me what to do, and I will follow you into battle. I will follow you into death, and everything that I should fear will no longer be a fear because you are a general that I will follow and all other fears are wiped away as I look at you. Fear of a general. Through the Bible, we see a story in Joshua. Joshua is the strongest general in the entire world at this time, leading Israel and conquered, conquering um, Canaan. Big, huge battles. Strong general. But there's a story in Joshua and He's leading people, and, and people just conquered the walls of Jericho. And as he, as he did, he turned around and he saw a guy standing. He looked at the guy and says, what army are you from? And after he said, what army are you from? He said, I'm the army from the Most High. He was then standing in front of God. Here's his reaction. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to my servant? The strongest general in the world falls flat on his face when he stood before the general of God. You see that fear? Do you see that respect? God holds all that. Fear of royalty would be another one, and that would be more the fear of awe. When you're standing in front of somebody that is just extreme royalty, I will tell you that you are very concerned how you look. You're very concerned of how you behave. You're very concerned of what is taking place at the moment, because why? Everybody's watching you, including that royal person. In fact, if you're standing by the Queen of England, uh, paparazzis and the media is all taking pictures, you will say, am I up straight? Am I going to make a fool out of her? Am I going to embarrass her? This fear is not that you are afraid that she would hurt you, but you are afraid that you would hurt her. Completely different opposite. But when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we have a fear that combines all three of them the fear of respect, the fear of terror, and the fear of awe. This took place with Peter when he stood um, in the storm. They're in the storm, and the waves and the storm completely started to take the boat to the point where Peter was convinced that he was going to die. As Peter and the disciples were convinced that they were going to die, what did they do? They said, life is over, and they got angry, frustrated at Jesus because Jesus didn't care about them as their life was going to end. So what did they do? They woke Jesus up. They say, Jesus, get out of bed and help us. So what Jesus does is he walks out of bed, he goes to the front, and he calms the storm. All fear should be gone in the disciples. But if you look at the passage really close, did all fear leave the disciples? No. Their fear was right here when they're about ready to die. But when Jesus calmed the storm, their fear went up to a whole different level. 
And their comments were, I cannot believe the God that I'm standing in front of. Calming the storm did not wipe out their fear. Calming the storm increased their fear. So let's ask the question, how does the fear of the Lord make you wise? Because we're putting in the context of being in wisdom, wisdom, and this is the foundation of it. How does it make you wise? Number three, when you fear the Lord, your faith is no part of your thinking. I'm sorry, your faith is not part of your thinking. Your faith is your thinking. What happens with the word fear is fear is your ultimate thing that drives your life at the moment. And what I mean by that is your whole world shuts down if you're terrified about one thing. What happens is fear consumes your heart, your mind, your emotions. Fear consumes everything about you, and all your thought patterns are only focused on one specific thing, and that is the thing that you fear. This is the reason why God says, if you want wisdom, you've got to love me. Well, you want wisdom, you just got to care for me. If you've got wisdom, you've got to serve me. God doesn't want to be on the outside of your thinking. He doesn't want to be a part of your thinking. He wants to be on the inside. He wants to be your thoughts. He wants to be driving your thinking, not being alongside. Now, as Christians and as people go to church, we often think that, you know, I need to think the way that God thinks. Um, I would say that that is incorrect. I would say that what we need to do is we need to not think alongside God. We need to let God do our thinking for us. And that is what the fear of the Lord does. In our modern world, we think that faith apart from thinking, we think that faith is apart from thinking, but faith should be our thinking in every single context that we come into contact with. It's not a part of us. It should be us. 1 Corinthians 1.19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Uh, what happened here is Paul just got rid of all everybody's mind and says there's a God, and that God is going to go only if you base yourself and your thinking on him, and nothing else is going to work. And the reason why nothing else will work is because all those things will be destroyed, so you can only have one principle of thought, and that is directed specifically on him. Number four, when you fear the Lord, you don't use reason instead of religion. Your reasoning is based on your religion. Last year, I hiked the um, 250 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail, and I was studying it because I wanted to do it right, and the way I studied it is I just Google any question that I had. One question I Googled is I said, "Um, should you bring a gun on the Pacific Crest Trail? And uh, I will tell you that in the chats, you know, in the, the areas that you'll talk a lot about things, everybody expresses their mind in a very aggressive way. And people are saying, what stupid idiot would bring a gun on the Pacific Crest Trail? What are you going to do? Shoot the butt in front of the person that's walking in front of you? I mean, who are you going to shoot? Where are you going to shoot? Where are you afraid of? There's nothing to reason to bring a gun. So, of course, I thought, well, I won't bring a gun on the Pacific Crest Trail. When I was hiking, I either sleep or walk. And if I didn't sleep, I was up walking. One night I went to sleep early at 9 o'clock, and I woke up at 11. And I stayed up from 11 to 12, 12 to 1, 1 to 2, and my motto, if I'm not sleeping, I'm going to walk. 2 o'clock in the morning, I got up, packed up all my gear in the middle of the night, and, uh, and started walking. It was just me by myself in the pitch dark black of the woods, with a headlamp on, what I could see in front of me. As I was walking, I noticed a light that was in front of me, and I started to think, huh, 
somebody else had a brilliant idea like myself and is out here on the trail as well. So I just kept on walking and kept on walking. I'd look up and I continued to see the light, not thinking anything of it. And sure enough, I was thinking, well, I'll probably come in contact with that light because it seems like we're almost since walking together my direction. But I'd have no fear about it until I saw what that light was. And I was awfully close to that light. And do you know what that light was? It was my headlamp reflecting off the eyes of a mountain light. And I will tell you, I looked down and I said, where's my gun? Because the simple fact is that you got to attack if he attacks. And when fear takes you, encompasses you, you start looking around what you can attack with. And I said, I have nothing. Sure enough, I started to walk very slowly because you're not supposed to run. Step by step, kept looking back over my shoulders as he continued just to stare me down really close. And I kept on walking, 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 walking a mile back to where I camped. I set up my tent, hopped back in bed, so I'll wake up again in the light and then I'll continue my trail. Fear does something to you. It changes your reasoning. Nobody in this world will be able to look at me and say, you don't need a gun when you hike on the Pacific Crest Trail. I bought a gun, and yesterday I annihilated a target. Over a thousand rounds. I didn't shoot the thousand, but I will tell you I used it consistently thinking this will never happen again. But see, what happens is a fear changed my reasoning. Fear changed my behavior. Fear changed my action. Fear carries a power, and there's a reason why God didn't say, just love me and you're going to get wisdom. Because God doesn't want to be a part of your reasoning. He wants to be your reasoning. Knowing that the word fear is something that's going to get inside your heart, your emotions, your soul, your desires that will mess with your mind and also will play and work with your behavior. Number uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Jews demanded miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach one thing and that is Christ and Christ crucified. Looking for signs because that is a good way to see our power, our drive, our motivation that will send us out. Looking for wisdom because that is the way that will make us make good decisions, right decisions. All of a sudden all those things are changed and Paul says we only preach one thing, and that is Christ and Christ crucified. How powerful is that message? That message speaks to every single one of us in every single situation that we are in right now. If you need comfort, there's a message out there that will comfort you. There's a God who came and died specifically for you. If you you are lonely, there's a message out there that will cure it. There's a God that came for you and wants to socialize with you, wants to talk with you, wants to walk with you, and the cross is the one that proves it. If you are full of pride, that one message of Christ crucified can annihilate you if you start thinking about it. It can convict you, it can motivate you to say, I am messed up, I've got to change. If you're full of arrogance, if you're full of power, if you're full of sin, That cross does something with you. It's a message that will mess with every situation that you are in. Do you see what Paul did? Paul said, there is something that will mess with your thinking. There is something that will make you wise. And therefore, we're going to preach that one thing that will apply to everybody in the room. And that is Christ and Christ crucified. 
Number five, when you fear the Lord, understanding doesn't come before belief. Your belief provides you with understanding. We live in a world that has a concept that I will not believe God until I understand him. I will not believe God until he proves something to me. I will not believe God until I see him. We think backwards. God says, believe, and then you will be provided understanding. Believe, then you'll be provided understanding. Therefore, if you're struggling with understanding God, (laughs) praise God, we do. But the only way that we can learn and be strengthened is to believe first, and then understanding will be provided. 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Number six, kind of wraps all three of those up on what wisdom does to you in kind of a, in a picture. A lover's relationship is face-to-face. A friend's relationship is shoulder-to-shoulder. A relationship with God is in and through. This is mentioning all the relationships that we have in this world. Lovers are face-to-face. They look at each other. They adore each other. They, they, they connect with each other. That's a lover's relationship. That's just natural. Friends' relationship is they're shoulder to shoulder. They don't walk face to face. If I have a buddy, we're not face to face. We have a task that we're going after, and we walk shoulder to shoulder to a specific task. That's the the dynamics of that relationship. There's a relationship with God that is different, and that relationship is in and through. And the only way you're ever going to get in is if you have the fear of God. God, I see who you are. I've seen what you've done. I respect you, and I stand in awe of you as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's when it gets in. And when it gets in, what takes place? It starts to come out. This is the hardware of our nature and also the hardware of thinking. And if you want wisdom outside of that, you will never get it. There's a lot of wisdom that's out there. Worldly wisdom, the Bible mentions. Human wisdom, the Bible mentions. What goes in, human wisdom. What goes in, worldly wisdom, will come out. What the Proverbs says is complete foolishness. But real, rich, strong, powerful wisdom is God in, and then God comes out. So let me ask you a question. How do you know if you have the fear of the Lord? Just take a test. Ask, do you love him above all? If you want to fear the Lord, here's your task. Fall in love with him. And the reason why you need to fall in love with him is because your greatest fear is attached to your greatest love. I'll give you an example. If your greatest love is people, then what is your greatest fear? Greatest fear is rejection. Your greatest fear is being lonely. So if you're living and going, I hope I don't make people hurt me. I hope people don't talk about me. I hope people like me and you exist for the reason to get people to like you. You are explaining your greatest fear. What? It's all the people that are around you. Let's give you another one. If your greatest love is power, then your greatest fear is what? Being humiliated. Does humiliation just consume you? Does humiliation beat on you? Does humiliation wear you down? And when you're humiliated, there's no other reason why you even should exist because I'm a nobody and my value comes in what I do, not by anything else. Well, if you have that fear of humiliation, your greatest love can be described. And what is it? It's power, position, prestige. If your greatest love is relationship, then your greatest fear is a broken one. Many people are in relationships, Um, 
young people or even starting to date, and as they are dating, they're like, if this relationship ends, my whole world is gone. Some people live inside of a relationship, and there's just this consuming fear of untrust and consistently saying, who did you talk to today? Who are you working with today? And there's just this insecurity that is absolutely horrible. What you've done, you've put all the stock of your love into something else besides God. It's not wisdom, and you won't be getting it. If your greatest love is money, your greatest fear is security. Am I secure enough? It's also the loss of power. You see what happens is our greatest fear gives us our definition of our greatest love so we can ask the question, do you fear God? And if you don't fear God, then he's not your greatest love. And if you don't fear God, is there anything you can do about it? Yes, there is. Fall in love with him. Psalms 118, let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Continue with the test. Number eight, do you obey him? Fear of terror. When you live your life and temptation is in front of you, um, do you think that God's eyes always sees? Do you think that God's ears always hears? Do you think that God's hand always writes? We think about what we're standing in front of and then who is specifically standing with us. And does it ever bring a, a terror to us or does it make us slack and lackadaisical in a sense that, oh, this is not a big deal. Nobody sees me. Nobody's around. Proverbs 14.2 says, He whose walk is upright obviously fears the Lord and obviously knows who and what is standing next to him. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to do what? Is to hate evil, and if you love evil, the fear of the Lord is something that's not inside of you. Therefore, wisdom is not be going your direction. Number nine, do you worship him? This would be a fear of respect. When we walk in church, you should be challenged that I am going to meet with God, and God specifically, when we sing, when the word is presented, I want to meet with God. I don't want to listen to the pastor. I want to see God in this message, God in the word. I want to see God in the songs. And when I walk out the door, I want to have more of God. Some people walk in the door and say, you know, this is a great church to socialize, a great church to be a part of people, but the whole focus is specifically God and God only and should be. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. A bubbling brook will come out when we fear the Lord. Therefore, if you say, I don't fear the Lord, how do I fear him? Fall in love with him. Everything you can, fall in love with him. Communicate to him in the word. Communicate to him on worship. Communicate to him your needs. Communicate to him your love and express it specifically to him. And he'll consistently give that love back to you. Obey him. People say, well, what is righteousness? It's not that big of a deal. By obeying him, you're saying, I completely respect you and your position. And if you want the fear of the Lord, again, worship him. Come meet with him. Come be with him. Father, we just uh, desire wisdom. We want wisdom. And uh, God, the task is um, easy to understand. Empower us to be able to do it. God, I just pray that we will fall in love with you more and more each day. That we will worship you, God, with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind. We want our thinking to change, knowing that this is a source that will change our thinking. God, we also want to obey you. By obeying you, God, we are telling you that we love you. 
empower us to be able to do so. We are a people that want wisdom. We know how to get it. Give us the power, God, to go after it. In Christ's name, amen.